question everything. question everything i'm your host kelsey i'm sorry i'm posting this bonus a little late i've been caught up with applying to jobs and trying to get my life together um speaking of which i've also been thinking that i'm going to start doing one episode a week and only do bonus episodes if i have to i'm sorry but each episode takes me like at least a whole day to record and edit And if I do end up getting a job, I won't have enough time to do two a week. I'm hoping I'll have enough time to do one a week or if not, one every other week. But I promise I'll do my best. (laughs) So anyway, I've been getting so much feedback from my podcast from you guys. I think this is the most feedback I've ever gotten. And I just want to give you guys a huge hug and a huge thank you. Um, Thank you for sticking by my side and recommending my podcast and giving me a chance, even though most of what I talk about sounds like I'm on drugs. (laughs) But so much love for you guys. I've also just been skimming my requested DMs on Instagram, and I've been replying to some, but most of you guys are just sending me lots of love, and I appreciate it a lot. And most of your messages just make my day, so love you guys. Okay, so this bonus will be about secret organizations, which I guess aren't so secret, but they are a big influence on our society and not just in the U.S., but all over the world. But first, I did want to talk about something that happened to me last Friday. So I was meditating for like an hour and I felt my whole body go numb and I was just in a very deep meditative state. I did see some weird images, but the ones that stood out the most were the numbers 14, 16, and 17. I don't know what that means. I don't remember much of the meditation. It's kind of like I blacked out, so I hope my subconscious got some of that, whatever I saw, because it didn't even feel like an hour. It was really weird. Anyways, I just kept seeing those numbers, so maybe they are dates or something. I don't know. Well, anyway, after the meditation, I felt completely different. I felt like maybe I elevated my consciousness to another level. But I went on Twitter after and everything everyone was talking about in the sense of elections or Trump or COVID, really anything going on, wasn't resonating with me. Like, I saw beyond that. I don't know how to explain it without sounding delusional, but it's almost like I can see the bigger picture now. I just see so much anger and rage all over my social media feeds, and to me, it was as if it didn't matter. Like, none of what they were talking about mattered. Not that I don't care about the collective or not that I don't care about what's going on, but in the sense that it didn't bother me personally because I knew the bigger picture we're working with. Like I said, I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to explain it as best as I can with the help of this new book I just read. Well, I've had it for a while, but... When I started feeling this way, I was like, maybe I can find more of what's going on in this book. It's called Mastery of Self or Master of Self. It's by the same guy who wrote The Four Agreements. And when I tell you I finished this whole book in one day, I could not put it down. And like I said, I've had it for a while now, so I don't know why I just never read it. (laughs) But I can say that it definitely did ease my perspective on how I was feeling. I'm basically, how he describes it, escaping the dream of the planet, aka the Matrix. And in his book, he talks about why people argue so much about certain topics and why there's so much negativity. And it's purely because most people are coming from a place of conditional love and their ego when we should be coming from a place of unconditional love. But no one's to blame here. It's purely the way we are domesticated growing up and how we were molded by our surroundings. Like I've mentioned in the Four Agreements episode, he kind of touches on the same things. But just how I mentioned that the pro-life and pro-choice people are both right in their own reality because that's the way they grew up. The only missing piece is that people are so unwilling to hear anybody else and give people a chance because they are so attached to their beliefs. 
As I mentioned, we live in a world of polarity, and it's becoming more prominent as these current events unfold. But it's the integrity and and responsibility that people don't hold themselves accountable for. I don't know anyone who is willing to put their ego aside and be like, okay, I hear you out, but I don't agree because that's not my truth, but I respect you and your beliefs. Especially right now. Like, all I'm seeing is so much hate towards a lot of people. And, I mean, I see it. I see both sides. I understand. But because of that is the reason we don't get along. Everyone's coming from a place of conditional love. If you see the world through the lens of conditional love, you are, by definition, attempting to control others, imposing your will so that they conform to the definition of who and what you think they should be. He says it best. He said, I am aware that when I say something, I am both right and wrong at the same time. The perception of the individual who listens will determine the validity of what I say according to their point of view. I am only responsible for the integrity of what I say and not what other people feel and think. I am responsible for what I say, but not responsible for what you hear. If you really think about it, like, the whole world would change if we all, if we all were taught these things. I'm going to give you an example of the conditional love versus unconditional love, and I'm just going to read it straight from the book because I can't put it in better words than he can, so let me get it out. When you find yourself in a disagreement with someone and you can feel you're getting upset, you have a decision as to what you do or say next. Before you speak or take another action, ask yourself this question. Is what I'm about to say or do coming from a place of conditional love or unconditional love? In other words, is your love and acceptance of the person in front of you somehow contingent upon them agreeing with you or doing what you wish? If so, that is your cue that your domestication and attachments are in control of you, and now you are trying to domesticate someone else to your point of view. If your response is from unconditional love, by definition, your response shows the other person respect, even if you ultimately disagree with their views or actions. Mutual respect is the key that allows true peace to occur in the dream of the planet. This respect also allows everyone to experience the benefits and consequences of their own choices and actions. When conditional love dominates the dream of the planet, any semblance of peace and harmony occurs through force when one person or persons subjugate the will of others. Governments are famous for this type of behavior, and history is littered with examples of one group controlling another through the belief that might makes right. But this also occurs in personal relationships when one person uses a position of power to control the behavior of another. This, of course, is not real peace and harmony and it never lasts. People will always rebel against subjugation and fight to reclaim their free will. Because our very nature itself is freedom, we will always strive for it, even when our vision is clouded by the fog. So he calls our ego and our thoughts the fog. (laughs) The problem is that if a group of people fight for freedom without clearing their own fog first, their domestication and attachments, These same people who gain freedom from an oppressor will eventually replace the previous set of conditions with their own, and in return try to subjugate the people around them in order to establish their vision of peace and harmony. This cycle of imposition and subjugation has been occurring in the dream of the planet for thousands of years. This is how wars begin, end, and start again. And this is true no matter if it's a brawl on the street or an international conflict, as both stem from one party's desire to subjugate the other based on the subjugator's belief that their way is the right way. This is the cycle of conditional love. Peace and harmony from the point of view of unconditional love are the engagement of equals using knowledge and awareness to co-create a dream whose diversity reflects the free will of each individual living in this moment. Much like the party where you are the only sober person, you cannot expect everyone to want to be sober or want to wake up, nor can you make anyone to do so. Attempting to wake someone up against their will is attempting to subjugate them to your ideas. And I really hope I'm not doing that to any one of you guys, but let me continue. (laughs) So how do we engage from a place of unconditional love? How do we sincerely try to help others awaken without subjugating them? Taking a moment to reflect and discern what your true motivations are is not always easy, especially when you are in the heat of the moment and the drama of the party is trying to hook you back into believing this dream is real. Furthermore, coming from a place of unconditional rather than conditional love may still involve doing 
or saying something that other people don't like. But speaking your truth from a place of love and respect is a mastery of self in action. It's at these times that I remember something my father taught me. I am responsible for what I say, but I am not responsible for what you hear. I am responsible to the tips of my fingers and no further, and how someone reacts to what I say or do is out of my control. Of course, this truth is not meant to be a license to say or do anything that is unkind or intentionally hurtful. To be considerate of others is also a choice we have. But we understand that when we break the chains of our domestication, this news can be hard for our domesticators and those trying to domesticate us to handle, especially at first. What really matters is our intention. When we come from a place of unconditional love, we can have the confidence that whatever action we take is the right one, and the outcome of any situation is beyond our control. We do the best we can, and we release our attachment to the outcome. This can be difficult to do at first, and even a little scary, but committing to act from a place of unconditional love eases this anxiety, as we know that our actions and our actions after that are coming from a place that is true to our being. This whole book just like blew my mind. I think like every time I read a new book of his or anything in regards to seeing beyond your ego, I just get slapped and put into place. (laughs) Like, could you imagine how different this world would be if everyone came from a true place of unconditional love? It's insane. Okay, I also want to read how he sees the conflict on this planet. Because there are over 7 billion personal dreams happening occurring in the dream of the planet, disagreements are inevitable. But these disagreements can also serve a very healthy purpose as they challenge each of us to continually evolve our respective personal dreams. When one person, not to mention both parties, has an emotional reaction as a result of a disagreement, the possibility to see things from the point of view of the other closes and conflict begins. An emotional reaction leaves you stuck, unable to move forward until you look more deeply at whatever the emotion is trying to tell you. Every master of self, even those who will implement these tools diligently for years, will come across certain people or situations that pose special challenges. These are the people who can really push your buttons and dealing with them is likely to discharge an emotional reaction. While you may be able to avoid dramatic or anxiety-provoking people and situations in many instances, there will always be those moments when you can't walk away, when you just have to deal with the person or situation at hand right then. The question then becomes, can you engage without being drawn back into the drama of the party? Can you stay grounded in your authentic self and show the other person respect? As a master of self who wants to maintain control of his or her will and have unconditional love for all of the dream of the planet, you can stay balanced much more easily if you find out why this person has the unique ability to provoke a reaction in you. Think about it. Of all the people in the entire world, this person can push your buttons maybe better than anybody else. This is a very special gift they are offering you, and freedom awaits you as soon as you can find out why that is. In my experience, the root can often be traced to one of these three things. Let's look at those now. So the first one is prior domestication. It's possible that the person or situation provokes a deep memory of someone attempting to domesticate you and you resisting. Even if you can't fully remember the event, your subconscious or deep memory is making the connection. As a result, your perception of the current situation is skewed by the domestication of the past. You are seeing this person as a potential threat, and your consciousness or unconsciousness mind has labeled them as such, even if you don't realize it. You can connect the dots and see that the reason this person bothers you is based on a past experience rather than current situations. You have begun to eliminate their power to upset you, putting your will back into your control. With the knowledge of the memory or similar situation that that person is activating in you, you can work towards forgiving and releasing trauma caused by past domesticator and see the current situation in a new light, no longer obscured by the shadow of your past. Often, just the association with the past begins to free you from the torment of the present situation, thus removing its power over you and absolving it as a potential trigger. The second one is mirroring, which I think this one's a big one. 
Everyone is our mirror and our reflection of things we don't like about ourselves is most vivid in those who have the same qualities. In other words, you may see a piece of yourself in this other person even if you don't realize it. This truth may come as a surprise to some of you and your initial reaction may be to disagree. But I invite you to look deeper. Whatever characteristic you see in another that you don't like is often a characteristic you see in some degree in yourself. For instance, if you catch someone in a lie that bothers you greatly, can you find a time in the past where you have also been a liar? If you find yourself complaining about shortcomings of your friends, notice how many of those complaints could also apply to you. This can be a hard truth to swallow at first, but it is also a useful tool to dissolve any negative internal reaction that occurs when dealing with someone else because it allows you to see him or her as yourself. Number three is attachment. When you encounter someone who has uncanny ability to provoke a reaction in you, it may be because you have an attachment to a belief that you feel needs to be defended and you view this other person as a threat to this belief. This all kind of correlates with everything going on right now, so pay attention. (laughs) When you are very attached to your own beliefs, conflicts are most likely certain to arise. While some beliefs may need defending, especially when they involve the physical well-being of yourself or someone else, these are typically not the ones we find ourselves in conflict over. I mean, right now, kind of, with police brutality and all that, but let me go on. There is a big difference between defending a belief that protects your physical being and a belief that it simply supports a position your ego holds dear. Knowing the difference between the two, as well as your commitment to responding to respecting another's right to believe differently than you, is a way to release your attachment to a belief grounded in egotism and view the other person's viewpoint with respect. So I'm just going to share this exercise to maybe help you guys. The next time you are in a situation you begin to feel angry, defensive, guilty, sad, or anything similar arising, the first step is to spot the emotion and admit it. At, this is kind of like shadow work now that I think about it. He has a lot of shadow work in his, in his book, but he doesn't call it shadow work. But anyways, admit it exists and accept that these feelings are inside you. Just identifying, admitting, and accepting the feelings often has a calming effect and begins the process of releasing them. The next questions to ask yourself are, what is this emotion here to show you? What fears are the words or actions of another activating inside you? What are you trying to control and why? In most cases, the answers will fall under the category of past domestication, mirroring, or attachments. A master of self recognizes that any negative emotions that are arising are really a gift, an opportunity for discovery, as no one else is responsible for your emotional reactions except you. I'm going to repeat that one more time. No one else is responsible for your emotional reactions except you. Others can say and do anything they like, but what happens inside you is only the result of what you are thinking and feeling. Like I said, this book really puts you in your place. Uh, I, I just wanted to share that because there's so much emotion going on right now. And I I hate saying it, honestly, especially if it's like fear provoking or people are just arguing about different beliefs and stuff. I just don't think people realize that we all come from different places, different cultures, different backgrounds, molded differently. And I even was talking to someone on TikTok because I posted the video of, if you follow me on TikTok or Instagram, the video of the girl glitching on TV. And I was like, oh my God, it's reptilian. I mean, to me, that's what it is. And this guy was like, I don't think it is. You're reaching. Do you ever admit that you're wrong when proven with evidence? And I was like, well, there's neither a wrong or a right. It's how you perceive life or that's your perception. And if you want to perceive it as a reach or that I'm lying, then go for it. Like in your eyes, I'm wrong. But in my eyes, I'm right. Like, this is my truth. This is, like, do you see how I'm thinking things now? And I obviously respected his view, but I was just saying that if you look at things from a different perspective, you'll see where I'm coming from kind of thing. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I've stopped arguing with a lot of people, especially in my immediate life, that especially my brother, who tells me I'm wrong or crazy or whatever. It's just like, this is how I perceive the world. And if that's not how you perceive it, then okay, I respect you. But I'm no longer trying to impose or subjugate you to my ideas. And I hope I don't do that to anyone who's listening to this. I'm just sharing my thoughts. And what I'm about to talk about next also, this also applies that I'm not trying to 
impose anything. Okay, so I know it's very difficult to do all of this, especially because the elections and the two-party systems dictate our lives, but this is another topic in itself. The presidents don't run the show, they are the puppets. The people behind the scenes who are pulling the strings are the people we should actually be mad about. And voting is just an illusion to get us to give them consent to continue to manipulate us. It's almost seen as a ritual or a ceremony for these Satan worshippers. That's why it is shoved down our throats so much to vote or to register. Like, I even logged on to Snapchat and at the top of Snapchat it said, are you registered to vote? Or any social media platform that I log on to, like the first thing is, have you registered? Like, please click OK or whatever. Or any website, some YouTube people. Another red flag is, has anyone noticed how how many celebrities are endorsing it or in push, pushing this out? They tweet every other tweet to vote. Like, ever wonder why we have to sign at the bottom of our ballots? I mean, some may say that it's for confirmation and proof, but honestly, it's because we're signing our consent away to this agenda. They need our consent. It's a universal law to continue doing what they have been doing to us. Like I said, I don't want to influence anyone to do anything, but I'm just giving you my perspective on the elections and my truth. If you think I'm crazy and don't agree, that's perfectly fine. There have been a lot of people who are angry at me for not voting, but voting won't change anything. If you look back to the 45 presidents that we had, it's always been the same bullshit. Excuse my language. (laughs) It's literally all a trick. This guy was talking about the Reconstruction Act, where the country was divided by 10 regional areas during the Civil War, which means these regional areas are under military occupation control. Kind of sounds like Hunger Games, which then means that when you vote and you register, you're signing yourself up for martial law in one of these regions. Things won't change if we keep doing the same things over and over. It won't be until we start to demand change. But how do we do that? by denying the consent of their agenda. And if we really think that any of these candidates will do anything for us, we're out of our minds. Neither of them have any control on anything. They might portray it, but the shadow government are the ones running the show. They implement the policies, they dictate every little thing, and I'll further explain with the secret groups that I will be talking about. But everything else is just theatrics to keep us in the matrix, to keep our mind closed up. There's even a document on the CIA.gov website that talks about the Illuminati and voting. I think it's the bloodlines of the Illuminati, but it talks about it. It's literally right in front of our faces. Some people just don't want to open their eyes. But like I said, that's okay. We're all different. We're all living in different realities. And I'm just doing my best from a place of unconditional love to help the collective. I actually want to play a clip that I found from a stand-up comedian. His name is George Calvin, I think, or George Calrin. And he was also an author, but during his comedy stand-up shows or during his shows, he always talked about this stuff. And I think he chose this outlet to spread his word and make it funny to get more attention. He also talks about reptilians. You guys should look him up. Some even have said that they killed him because he was saying too much. So... Here, let me just play it. You know, we've tried all of that, and the kids still can't pass the test. They say, oh, don't you worry about that. We're going to lower the passing grades. And that's what they do in a lot of these schools now. They lower the passing grades so more kids can pass. More kids pass. The school looks good. Everybody's happy. The IQ of the country slips another two or three points. And pretty soon, all you'll need to get into college is a fucking pencil. <laughs> Got a pencil? Get the fuck in there. It's physics. Then everyone wonders why 17 other countries graduate more scientists than we do. Education. Politicians know that word. They use it on you. Politicians have traditionally hidden behind three things. The flag, the Bible, and children. No child left behind. No child left behind. Oh, really? Well, it wasn't long ago you were talking about giving kids a head start. Head start, left behind. Someone's losing fucking ground here. But there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason for this. There's a reason education sucks. And it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The big, the wealthy, that... 
the real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. They're, they're, they're irrelevant. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media, media news, all the big media companies. So they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. You know something? They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table to figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your social security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they use to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hardworking people. White collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hardworking people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all. At all. At all. Yeah. You know? And nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. Okay, like, I love that man. Sorry, that was really long, but that just, the whole skit, or that whole show that he did on that was pretty funny and pretty accurate he talks a lot about that stuff and obviously he portrays it as a comedy show but you could tell that he's kind of serious about most of the things he says so i suggest you look him up on youtube that video was 11 years ago so see what i'm saying by how nothing has changed <laughs> okay sorry you know i like my big intros but let's get into it so I don't know if you've heard of the roundtable groups, but it's a general term to group together the various New World Order steering organizations that were created and funded by the proponents of this great plan. These groups were the latest innovation of the Illuminati beginning in the late 1800s going into the homestretch of the creation of a one world government. The man who brought all these groups together was Cecile John Rhodes, who was a 33 Freemason. In 1877, he laid out his own plans to unite the world under this new world order. Rhodes was, in fact, backed by the Rothschilds' wealth by developing diamond mining properties in Africa. He founded the De Beers, De Beers, <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that right, Diamond Company. Side note, Africa was also the country where the Anunnaki were digging for gold when they came to Earth. Connect the dots. So the first society I'm going to mention, or the first organization, first group, who is a part of the roundtable is the Fabian Society, and it was considered a semi-secret society. Their mission was to extend the British Empire to include the entire world into the New World Order. They wanted to carry this out gradually to not get anyone suspicious, so their mascot was the turtle. How fitting. 
After Rhodes died, they established the Rhodes Scholarship Program to Oxford University in England. This scholarship was to go to promising young men from British colonies and the United States. One person in particular who actually received this scholarship was our boy Bill Clinton, no surprise. The other groups that I will be mentioning are as followed. The British Royal Institute for International Affairs slash the RIIA, founded in 1919. The Council of Foreign Relations slash CFR, founded in 1921. The Bilderberg Group, founded in 1954, the Club of Rome, founded in 1968, and the Trilateral Commission, founded in 1973. There was this professor named Carol Quigley, who was also known as one of Bill Clinton's professors of history at Georgetown University. Carol also taught at Princeton and Harvard. He also published a book in 1966 with their whole plan on it. But the Illuminati pulled the book off the shelves. Luckily, though, luckily, a lot of people bought it before they did that. And that's how most of the world started to figure out what was going on. Some people even republished it. So I think you can still find it on Amazon. It's called Tragedy and Hope, A History of the World in Our Time. Okay, so I'm going to talk about each group. The Royal Institute for International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations. They were the ones who established the Chatham House Rules, which mean no records are to be kept of their meetings, no notes, and no one could talk about it. This council was incorporated as the American branch of the RIIA in New York on July 29, 1921. Founding members included Woodrow Wilson, J.P. Morgan, John D. Rockefeller, Paul Warburg, Odo Kahn, Jacob Schiff, and many others. The main theme here is that everything always connects back to the Rothschilds and Rockefellers. Now, the most requested one, the Bilderberg Group. This group is probably the most devious. They meet once a year every year with their hand-picked members from the constitutional governments to meet at Bohemian Grove. Here's a few members and see if you can connect the dots. David Rockefeller, Henry Kissinger, Lloyd Benston, Helmut Kohl, Prince Charles, Prince Juan Carlos of Spain, Queen Beatrix of Netherlands, Catherine Graham, Alice Rivlin, Gerald Ford, Bill and Hillary Clinton, no surprise, Dan Quayle, Donald Rumsfeld, Colin L. Powell, John Edwards, Bill Bradley, Bill Richardson, Christopher Dodd, Diane Feinstein, Kathleen Sebelius, Alexander Haig, Ralph E. Reed, George Stephanopoulos, U.S. Treasury Secretary Timothy F. Gethner, George Soros, of course, Paul Volcker, Adam Greenspan, Ben Bernanke, former and current chairman of the Federal Reserve, World Bank President Robert Zolik, H.J. Hines, too, CEO of H.J. Hines Company, Peter A. Thiel, co-founder of PayPal, Eric E. Schmidt, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Google, Lloyd Bankfein, CEO of Goldman Sachs, Rupert Moldock, Donald E. Graham, Chairman of the Board of the Washington Post Company, William F. Buckley, Founder of the National Review and former host of Firing Line, Peter Jennings, George Will, Leslie Stahl, Bill D. Moyers, Bill and Melinda Gates, and many others. just wanted to show you guys the most prominent people so you guys can connect the dots. Apparently, a great deal of them have been convinced that a one-world government is to benefit everyone, and this is going to be a good thing for the collective. They brainwash a majority of their members. I'll get back to this group in a second because I do want to talk about what they do at their so-called meetings, but let's move on. The Club of Rome. So this group was established in Bellagio, Italy. Its members are again from all over the world and they're not just politicians. Some are scientists, heads of state, CEOs, etc. Just how not all the people who were on that list were all politicians, like the Google guy and stuff. They published a book called The Limits to Growth in 1972, which dealt with Illuminati's issue on worldwide overpopulation. It stated that if the world's consumption patterns and population growth continued at the same high rates of the time, the Earth would strike its limit within a century. 
This book sold over 12 million copies in 27 languages and described their vision of the world. So, for the most part, it's a high-powered Illuminati-funded think tank, functioning research institute on economic, political, and social problems. So, their scientists basically push out studies to control the public on what they want you to know. Basically how I was saying that they have their own scientists about global warming, fluoride, GMOs, all that stuff. Their mission is to act as a global catalyst of change that is free of any political, ideological, or business interests. The next one is the Trilateral Commission. Their official badge is cleverly disguised as 666. Once again, founded by the Rockefellers, many of their members are in positions of power where they are able to implement policy recommendations. This is why they are nicknamed the Shadow Government of the West. This is where it gets interesting. So Ronald Reagan wasn't always one of them. He was actually against anyone involved with the Trilateral Commission. He was very critical of Jimmy Carter for being a member, as well as the 19 people who were in Carter's administration. Reagan stated that if he was elected, he would investigate them. He went as far as to say that he would never allow George Bush Sr. a place in his administration because by now we know that Bush was a reptilian, but I'm sure he knew too. This is why Reagan was heavily threatened and even shot at. But after his attempted assassination, Reagan gave in and joined the 33 degree Freemasons, which is insane because the medium psychic who I was talking about last week said that Reagan was also working for the light how Trump is. Then he was trying to expose them, but then they got to him, so he gave in. So that's why I don't trust Trump. <laughs> that's why I'm still questioning things. Next is the Travis Talk Institute. Every time I read this, it sounds like Travis Scott, so that's why I have to say it so slow. <laughs> so they are very influential in the way the Illuminati pull strings of the American society. It was created in England in 1921 with funding from the Roundtable, aka the Rockefeller Foundation. So they are not precisely a part of the round table, but they have connections to them. They work hand in hand with creating societal policy ideas and feed them to the round table for execution. They also play a crucial role in the creation of the Office of Strategic Services who were the precursor to the CIA, and they were behind the formation of NATO. Today, they operate through vast networks of satellite think tanks, non-governmental organizations, universities, and media organizations to influence the public's opinion. They scientifically created techniques of manipulation. Another important role they play is sponsoring group sensitivity and diversity programs, such as like the ADL, feminist, um, probably Black Lives Matter, designed to erase a person's individuality so they become a team player. They were also behind the term political correctness, which is used to describe language, policies, or measures that are intended to avoid offense or disadvantage to members of particular groups in society. In public discourse and the media, the term is generally used as a pejorative with an implication that these policies are excess or unwarranted. They are very sneaky with creating these terms, just how they created anti-Semitism when they are the epitome of anti-Semitic. <laughs> but all this made people too afraid to speak their minds, aka me. Every time I post something, I get criticized as one of these. They want the public right where they want them, as predictable and conditioned as they have us now. They portray themselves as non-political or non-governmental but that is not true, considering how deep they have their hands in governmental policies and issues worldwide. Their prophet was none other than the 33 Freemason Sigmund Freud. Of course, how many times has his propaganda been popping up in my podcast, whether it be him or his nephew? They are the science behind the psychology of how to persuade us. They have specific techniques to break down the psychological strengths of the individual rendering them helpless to stand up and oppose. Any technique that helps break down the family unit, religion, honor, and normal sexual behavior is used by their scientists and doctors as weapons against the good and decency of humanity. They even control standard universities, research institutes, and National Education Association, which directly influences the public school system curriculum. The Institute of Social Research at the National Training Lab brainwashes the leading executives of business and government to follow the globalist plan. The implementation of MKUltra is a Travis Talk strategy. A bunch of CIA members were apparently under MKUltra, and they were the first test dummies for it when it began. 
This was also the result of the narcotics trafficking that the CIA did with the opium epidemic. Here are some institutes that are controlled by them alone. The Brookings Institution, the National Training Laboratories, which this one has an explicit purpose of brainwashing the leaders of our government, educational institution, and corporate bureaucracies into the agenda. They also run programs for the State Department, the Navy, the Department of Education, Applied Behavioral Sciences, and other sections of the federal bureaucracy. I think one of the main ones we should pay attention to and, and what the comedian was talking about is how much they control the education system. I mean, I've been telling you guys from the start that they manipulate each generation through education. And they manipulate and train our teachers to do so too, which is actually really disheartening to think about because these people, these teachers, genuinely want to help our society and think that they are getting a solid education to do that, but they are just a tool for their great plan. I mean, I feel at this point we're all a tool. <laughs> we're all helping them with this plan. Okay, so that was a brief overview of some of the secret groups who run the world, and I hope you know that I wasn't just applying these groups to American society. In the book that I'm getting this from, he mentions that it literally ties into every government of the world. Let's talk about Bohemian Grove and how that ties into everything. So it's supposedly a men's only resort campground in Monte Rio, Northern California. Once a year, every July, since the late 1800s, around 2,000 of the most highly influential men in the world gather at this spot for two weeks to covertly meet regarding world affairs and to hold occult rituals. I think the most interesting thing I learned was that it isn't just politicians, CEOs, and all those quote-unquote important people, but mainstream media folks come to these meetings as well. There is a huge owl-looking statue in the middle of this campground, and they refer to that as Moloch, the demon they sacrifice children to. Presidents include Nixon, Eisenhower, Roosevelt, Bushes, Hoover, Ford, and Reagan, unfortunately. You got Colin Powell, Dick Cheney, Henry Kissinger, and a healthy selection of White House chiefs of staff, senators, secretaries of state, secretaries of defense, army generals, and so on. The Rockefeller family is always present. Clint Eastwood, Mark Twain, Bing Crosby, Merv Griffin, and Charlton Heston all became members of the Bohemian Club. Initiation fees start at $25,000, followed by hefty yearly dues, basically like a fraternity or sorority. It is widely known that prostitutes, both male and female, populated this strange club. In July 2000, Alex Jones successfully infiltrated Bohemian Grove and documented the cremation of care, sacrificial ceremony. Mike Hansen, author of Bohemian Grove Cult of Conspiracy, knows about the wicked and terrible ritual and other unspeakable things that go on in the grove. He and Alex Jones were the two who, in 2000, bravely got in and actually videotaped the amazing spectacle. They risked their lives to do so. The video is disturbing. <laughs> the ritual serves to symbolically cremate the worldly and dull cares of conscience to ensure the success of the club's midsummer meeting. This part is not an exaggeration of what happens every year at the Grove. It is all a fact, but when the world leaders are pretending to offer a human and fiery sacrifice to a 40-foot shrine in the middle of the woods, it's hard to believe it's only symbolic. There are some troubling photographs reportedly taken in the early days of the secret society's formation, one which appears to show a child tied up to a table, and another of a convincing human mannequin or child awaiting a public lynching. It is clear that the owl, the Bohemian Groves rendered god of Moloch, god of Moloch or Moloch, is hidden in the upper right-hand corner of every $1 bill. Most of these videos have been taken down from YouTube, of course, but... I did find a couple articles which still had a lot of pictures and like one video. To wrap this up, I just want to say that after all, after I've given you all this information and even with what I talked about in the beginning, just become a little aware of your beliefs and your attachments to those beliefs and see your perspective change. Like I think that's like the main thing that I feel like we all need to work on and I'm still working on is seeing different perspectives of a lot of things especially with everything i've been learning but yeah everything is just so crazy and we truly only know what they've taught us so it's our turn to do some critical thinking and do some digging 
which is what I'm doing. So <laughs> thanks for sticking around and listening. This Friday, I will get into the Secret Space program and maybe Bermuda Triangle since they're both alien related. Okay, so now let's get into questions. Hi, Kelsey. I've been with you since before your OG TikTok got deleted, and I'm so proud of how far you've come. Thank you for wanting to educate us and improve our energy. I love you always. After listening to your moon episode, I was wondering how the fake moon specifically affects cancers as their sign is ruled by the moon. Have you thought about this, and do you have any theories about this correlation? I'm a cancer and still have such a strong energy bond with the moon, but of course, you taught me to question everything, so I'm a little on edge about this topic specifically. First of all, thank you so much. I love you too. And yeah, it is a little confusing, and I guess I wouldn't particularly call it fake, but artificially made. Like I mentioned, it still does everything the moon has been doing to us in regards to energy and our mood, but the way David Icke describes it is that the moon still affects us the same way the other planets aligned affects us. They're all a part of this simulation based on where the planets were when you were born. The only difference is that we should become aware of this and become aware that they are using these planets and specifically the moon in a way to manipulate our perception. But that's not to say that astrology is evil or anything like that. It's just the awareness that they can emanate these waves from the moon. But you have the power to transmute that energy into your own perception of it. Don't forget that. We all have the power to transmute any energy that comes our way. So if it still resonates with you in a positive manner, then keep it that way and just set your mind and your intentions on that and don't let their energy affect you, if that makes sense. Hopefully that helps. <laughs> Next one. Hi, Kelsey. I'm super new to this whole spiritual thing, but I'm also a huge anxious mess and always have been. I've suffered with anxiety since I was in second grade and it hasn't gone anywhere since. I will admit I've fallen into the fear mongering with the panic shopping and all of that, but ever since lockdown, I've stopped listening to the media and I just do my own thing, but I've been very interested in the spiritual realm and things like that. I was wondering if you could give me some advice on how to simply not be scared in times like these with political threats, proud boy threats, and things like that. Thank you so much. Sorry if this is all over the place. Okay, first of all, don't be sorry. <laughs> and second, I love that you have turned within and trying to figure out spirituality for yourself. The world is an energetic mess right now, that's for sure. There is fear being tossed around like candy, and feeling fear and anxiety is completely normal. The best advice I can give you is to not control it, because both of those are inevitable. We're human. Even I get scared sometimes. But if you try to control it, you'll just make it worse than it needs to be. So if you do get scared, just accept it and acknowledge it. But keep telling yourself that you are protected and that you are human and you're allowed to feel this way. Another way to prevent it is to truly just keep working on yourself and the power that you hold within. Become aware that you are powerful and you have the capability to change the world. Raise those vibrations. And the fact that you don't listen to the media already gives you an advantage over most people. You're already protecting your vibrations from whatever they're trying to project, which is good. Keep focusing on you and don't let the bad vibes take you down. You got this. Sending you all the love. And anyone else who's feeling the same way of anxiety and scared of all this propaganda stuff that's really being pushed out, just know that it's a part of their agenda. It's a part of them to try to keep us in fear, so just don't fall under it. But I know, like I said, it's hard. We're human. So just try your best. Stay away from the media. <laughs> okay, next one. I also had a warlike dream, but I have a really vivid imagination and have an open mind. Maybe a bit too much sometimes. No, no, no. I'm stopping you right there. You don't have too much of an imagination. That's good that you have an imagination. I had a dream we were in war. We, as in the human race, with aliens... They were weird creatures and they looked like two random animals smashed together. Some looked like reptilians or what I think a reptilian would look like. Also birds mixed with lions. I don't know if those animals mean anything except the reptilians, but those were the main ones I saw. Just strange that it's not only you, but my manager also mentioned having warlike dreams. Anna. Hello, Anna. Thank you for that confirmation that we are all collectively having visions in our dreams. I wonder though, 
if it's our higher selves fighting in the astral realm and not precisely visions of the future because there has been a spiritual battle going on for some time so i'm wondering if we're just tapping into the battle when we sleep because we are aligning more to our higher selves and just becoming aware of it but i don't think these dreams should keep you in fear or get anyone scared of what's to come because i feel like internally and subconsciously we're all ready for it so yeah next one do you know what the number nine means in spirituality i've always had the number in my head as a small child when i was in school our teacher would make us sign up numerical order and i always was assigned number nine p.s i absolutely love your podcast it helps me out so much in helping me wake up from all this Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening and sticking by and for all the support. And second, have you figured out your numerology report? That could be your life path number or a part of any of your numerology chart. There are some free charts online that you can check out. Cafe Astrology has a good calculator for not only astrology, but numerology as well. Um, But in regards to angel numbers, a lot of people have actually been asking me about angel numbers and how you can find the meaning to them. So I think the best way is how it resonates with you. Make it more personal based on your intuition. Like, is there a specific time when you saw the number nine, maybe in times of trouble or something like that? Like for me, when I see 44 or 4, it's usually when I'm struggling or something's going wrong and it's a reminder that I'm doing okay and that my guides are there to back me up and protect me. I remember this one specific time I was having car trouble and my tire had a nail in it or something. I had a flat tire and I was freaking out and I just looked at the clock and it was 11.44 and that's always been my like okay sign like you're gonna be okay like calm down kind of thing and later that day it was perfectly fine like I went with my friend and we got it fixed and it was all good. So it's just a reminder for me. When I like when I see 1111, it's a reminder to me that I'm on the right path or just a reassurance. Sometimes it also helps looking up these meetings online and just forming them to however they see you best and your intuition. I hope that helps. All right, that was the last one today. I know I only answered a few questions this week, but they were the longer ones that I had. If you have any questions, you know where to go. The link is in my bio at Woke with Kels. You guys have been submitting some really good questions lately, so kudos to you guys. You guys really got me thinking on a lot of stuff. But yeah, so thank you so much for listening. And again, sorry, this is kind of late. I usually post on Tuesdays, but I mean, a day late won't hurt, right? (laughs) It's better than nothing. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Keep your vibrations high. Don't fall under the fear keep questioning everything. I'll see you guys on Friday when we talk about more alien stuff. And if you have any other suggestions about topics or things you want to know, like I said, just leave them in the questions link. Again, thank you guys so much for your support and always sending me love and I couldn't thank you guys enough. Ooh, one more thing. It is getting cold outside and I do have a lot of hoodies and crewnecks in my merch store online, so if you want to check out my merch, it's on the link in my bio. I think I'm going to buy some more and try to do a giveaway soon, maybe once I get my job (laughs) because a girl's struggling, but yeah, go check it out if you want. Um, Thank you so much, guys. Love you. I'll see you on Friday. Bye!